Sometimes in life we just suffer. Sometimes it's from being totally withdrawn. Or so much stress that we are totally anxious. Or so tired that we are totally burnt out. But our current position is not our final destination. No, indeed. There's hope. So whether it's your personal life, your career, your relationship, your business, or your job, we say there's reason to believe again. And we present from Andy's personal development, the breakout room. It's the place for health, happiness, and prosperity. Stay tuned for more. Our next guest in the breakout room is the founder of Heal and Thrive Psychotherapy and Coaching. Her name is Masa Uja Kushniat. The experience includes 12 years of helping people improve and repair their relationships. She says, I also assist individuals and couples with overcoming anxiety, sadness, fear, isolation, and the inability to trust or build meaningful relationships. This is our guest. Dr. Massa is also a certified clinical trauma professional. So, let's welcome this passionate psychotherapist and coach, Massa Pujat Krishniat, live in Okay, so we're going to stand by as we go live on Facebook. Okay, people, welcome to the breakout room. This is Andy of Andy's Personal Development, and we are live with our special guests. She's Dr. Masa Hujat Kushniat, and she was born in Iran and has a very fascinating story to tell us today. But I will give her the opportunity to introduce herself because it's really an intriguing introduction about her background, her life, her story. And so, Dr. Masha, Masa, sorry, the floor is all yours. Let's hear your story particularly from the, the perspective of coming out of Iran, where you were born. Share with us, please. Hi, Andy. Hello to your listeners and viewers. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, let me first apologize. I'm nursing a cold, so I might be coughing. I apologize in advance. I'm okay. It sounds way worse than it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for having me. So, sure. yes, I'm Iranian. I came from Iran when I was 20 years old. And... 
I really would like to take this opportunity to not only tell you about my story, but to also talk about the plight of my people. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. they're going through. If you're following the news from Iran, what you're seeing is probably 50-fold what we went through. And I really wanted to bring it to the attention of the world that my people are suffering and they don't deserve it. All they're yeah. asking for is basic human rights. Mm-hmm. And that is being taken by a set of people who are basically trying to control the country. Yeah. To give you perspective of who I am and where I come from, I come from an amazing country. Okay. Um, and I'm not trying to blow our own horn, just the truth. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. No, no, no. I don't think you are. <laughs> one of our values is to be humble so i'm trying to be mindful yeah. of that. all right all right iran is a very rich culture and civilization you know we we, we started with persia right we expanded yes. over the whole area we were the first people that came up with human rights you know and there was a declaration of human rights equal religion equal language equal rights to practice and so um, I'm 42. So when yeah. I was born, I was born right after the Iran and Iraq war. Okay. Actually in the middle of it, to be uh-huh. very honest. Yeah. Yeah. And of it. So I'm growing up in this amazing, beautiful, rich culture, good people, tremendous values of humanity, valuing others, yeah. humble education, but in an environment with a dictatorship that uses a form of religion, whether it's true or not, true religion or not, to, in essence, suffocate and repress its people. Okay. So it creates an interesting world for a young girl to grow up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Was very progressive. The people who I were around were very progressive. Um, they were very educated and believed in education, open-mindedness, open-thinking. But when I would step out of the door, yeah. I had this repressive environment that, as a woman, I didn't necessarily have rights. Okay. And as a second-class citizen, anybody mm-hmm. from the regime or their followers felt yeah. the right to dismiss me, even violate my body, um, gropings and stuff, um, yell at you just because they could. And you really yeah. didn't have any anywhere to do or like get your rights, you know, being heard. So in that, that duality, it creates a kind of interesting resilience. Oh, okay. Okay. Because you're learning in the family environment, in your own little community environment, that what is right and what is wrong what you deserve, what's important. And then you're being oppressed otherwise. So the message, as you can see with my people back home, is we're not going to take it, even if all we have is our bodies to defend it. Well, we couldn't at the time, right? We couldn't, as it is now, we couldn't say it. The freedom of speech didn't exist. So you say the wrong thing, piss off the wrong person, there was this reality of being taken, apprehended, tortured, killed, what have you, nobody knowing what happened to you. So there's this innate fear of what can happen, but it's constantly being opposed by, but this is not okay. It really gives 
opportunity and new meaning. Yeah. So growing up in this duality, in this environment, again, hearing these different stories, I'm being pushed into my head. Think about education, think about doing the right thing, be there for people, stand up for what's right, find ways when there seems to be no way. Make sure you give to those who don't have it and don't give in, right? There's a strong message of you're not going to give in to them. You just have to find alternatives. You just have to be creative. So at this point, I'm 18, actually 20 years old. And I'm in the college, I'm studying nursing, I'm two years into it, my brother calls and says, you got to come here. He had just moved here for six months going to school. Yeah. But you have to come. I'm like, right. but what's in school? is like, I don't know, you got to do something. You have to come. Granted, he's only migrated at six months. It's just barely, you know, getting grounded here. So my family's like, okay, then let's do it. Um, so my mother and I, we move over here. And I get to college and they tell me, well, we're not going to accept any of your credits. Okay. And I'm like, they say, if you haven't studied anything else, it would have been fine, but you can't accept any of these. Now, I don't really speak English at this point. I thought I did till I got here. So they're telling me, okay, start taking your college, you know, English classes, maybe a couple of math classes. And eventually in a couple of years, you're going to start taking regular classes and then you know, see where you end up. Well, I didn't grow up that way. You know, you don't get opportunities. When you get, you run. Yeah. So I was like, okay, all right. So let's just start with English and math. And let's see what else I can put in there. And so pretty much within, I finished my college with two years and two and a half. And then moved into the university transfer. But this whole time, I had to have a dictionary next to me. I had to kind of figure out what it was saying because the language was always a barrier. But the way I had been raised, you didn't just accept things because the way they yeah, were. Yeah. You had to persevere. And it wasn't like you had extra time. Okay. And so, that's kind of like how my journey went. Right. So here's the thing, uh, Masa, Dr. I'm looking at the information here and, I, and I'm seeing that your experience has been very personal and important to you, particularly from a family perspective. And I'm seeing the words resilience, the importance of education, opening doors of opportunity, sacrifice, and taking control of one's choices. And I'm thinking, did part of, or maybe the majority of what encouraged you to take up your line of study in terms of the medical field was it mainly because of your personal experiences or was it because of something that you saw in the u.s because you would have seen so many different things as compared to what you had experienced back in iran so i'm curious because it's a very interesting field that you took up with trauma studies and mental illnesses schizophrenia and so on what made you choose that particular field of study in the medical world you know i feel like my path was set for me from uh-huh. the moment i was born it's an yeah. interesting story i remember i grew up very privileged yeah had a very kind protective family i didn't know about a lot of bad things that were going on in the world okay but when i was in a school i would tend to find the ones that are most isolated 
now in reflection, I know that they were very abused. Okay. Very, very hurt. And somehow I would gravitate towards them. So in essence, they're minorities. Okay. I think it all solidified for me. I was in second grade. I was playing with this girl who was really rejected by the whole school and the students and the teachers because she was aggressive, mm -hmm. right? But to me, I just saw her hurt. Yeah. And one day we're playing, I'm running behind her. Yeah. And I fall, and I trip and I fall. Everybody, all the school teachers, everybody fell in front of them, runs and comes and sees me. And they start to gang up against her to, and say that she had pushed me. And at eight years old, I'm like screaming, how could she push me? She's like, that is impossible. And I felt like no one heard. Mm -hmm. I remember very precisely, we are in the classroom, just standing in the corner, hands kind of crossed and yeah. angry. And I'm standing in front of her and I'm pleading yeah. that she couldn't have pushed me. I was behind her. She didn't do anything and it didn't mean a thing. Wow. That I think was the spark of, I just couldn't bear the innocence and the dismissal and again I, I knew she was she had bad behaviors but i saw something in her you know yeah, yeah. so when i came to us i had another misfortunate experience where somebody who was helping us acclimate i'm going to santa monica college yeah started to point like stay away from these people and there are gang members, and there are this, and there are that. And of course, tell me no, and I'm going to go and exactly look for it. <laughs> so right away, I'm like, I want to know who the gangs are. And I started to study them. It was as if I was hearing her story. You know, so I already knew what I wanted to do. I didn't know what it was called. Okay. All right. And then through education and a lot of mentorship. Yeah. They really pointed me to the right direction. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks for sharing. So tell us some of the things that people are challenged with with regards to childhood trauma. Let's deal with that first. Then we could go on to relationship trauma and stuff. But children, in terms of what they experience, and I'll tell you why I ask you that. Uh, a couple of days ago, I had um, a gentleman by the name of Martin Salama. And he is known as the architect of the Warriors L-I-F-E code, which is live intentionally full every day. Um, and he said when he was 10 years of age, he lost his five-year-old brother mm. in a vehicular accident. Mm. And he did not get closure from that experience until he was 50 years of age. And I mean, so he had to carry that for like 40 years. What would you have said to him, let's say, uh, if he had the opportunity to speak with you now in your professional uh, forte position with regards to how he should have dealt with an experience like that, that he had to live it for 40 years until one day he realized, I need to let it go? The first thing I would have said is that I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. But I am so sorry for two reasons. I yes. am so sorry that he had experienced that loss. Mm -hmm. 
And I am so sorry that he was alone. Okay. In that experience. Yeah. That maybe because people were grieved themselves because it was such a significant loss because mm -hmm. there was a lack of opportunity. Yeah. Nobody saw him. Okay. His struggle. Right, right. And then I would attempt to sit with him and help him feel safe. Okay. Because there is that 10 year old in him remembering that experience and ask him to talk. Okay. And what yeah. he would have his life. Yeah. True, that is as if we get transported to ten, his 10 year old self, but this time with me present. Okay. And allow him to feel what he couldn't feel, mm -hmm. express what he couldn't express. Okay grieve the way he could have yeah. with me using yeah. the own person uh -huh. caring nurturing holding attending to his 10 year old self because in essence he's locked in the not understanding what happened to him okay and through this process as he understands and shares and I provide him with other perspectives and help him see instead of just that this episode, the whole spectrum of what was going on around him to provide him this closure of what happened, why it happened, how it happened, why did people respond the way they did. Yeah. His 10-year-old self couldn't have understood. Okay. And in that is this unlocking of the trauma memory. Right, right. Where all these different neural networks kind of become this narrative, this cohesive narrative that is now stored as a memory rather than little pieces that can get triggered. And oftentimes what clients say is that I feel, they say, I feel relieved. Or they come back and say, the next time I thought about my brother, I didn't feel that same way because the healing had happened. Okay. Allows them to then go on to do so much more. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. So I want to look at this from a, a really practical perspective and imagine that you are speaking to an audience of young people and you are telling them that they need to develop coping skills resilience is it simply a matter of a paradigm shift in the way that they think or is it uh, a combination of that and also some form of knowledge that you would share with them practical things that they can do to develop those skills where their emotional response is based on what they need to do rather than what that thing is having on them how, how do you put that two together I appreciate you asking this. So I have developed, in a sense, my own model. Okay. I do psychodynamic attachment, CBT, mindfulness, yeah. many different models incorporated. Yeah. yeah. So it all starts with this understanding that who we are is very much affected by how we experience the world early on and then on. Okay. And how that affected our inner working model, our mm -hmm. perspective of the world from yeah. the down deep inside, not yeah. just the, but really biologically too. Okay, yeah. 
So the idea is first I have to build this experience of trust and safety where the person not only feel thinks that they're safe, but feel in their inner body, in their um, basically survival. Yeah, yeah. There's this sense of safety and comfort. Right. Through which then we're able to build the understanding of why they are the way they are. So what is happening in the now has a connection to the past. Mm -hmm. It isn't to go to the past and then start to review what happened to the past. Yeah, yeah. But understand how this has a connection to the past and what do we need to do with that core to help the here and now. Right. The idea is resolving the now by mm -hmm. insight from the past. Through this work, the person, in a sense, restructures their personality. This is a very deep work, and it requires a lot out of me because I really have my whole person, my whole being, yeah. to provide what wasn't provided. Okay. In essence, I help the person rebuild their sense of self, mm -hmm. their, their values, their principles. I always talk about this is not all about the outside of the house. This is yeah. about the foundation. It's, yeah, yeah. What are your, what is, what is it that you stand for? I say, I'm a little dark, I apologize. But I say, if there's a gun to your head, what will you not do? What will uh, go against your truth, humanity? Yeah, yeah. That is the core principle okay. that grounds us. And from there, everything happens. And that's, I mean, throughout the whole process, there are tons of techniques. Mm -hmm. right? I'm always pulling in technique. Yeah. But it's marrying, mm -hmm. building a foundation from which then they can go on yeah. whatever they want and not need me. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I get it. I get it. So here's the thing. You have this situation where, and I'm just being, using my imagination a bit. Um, the trauma is happening to a young person. And the parents need to understand what is happening and they need to provide some level of support for that person, that young person, their son or their daughter. What are some of the things that you would say to the parents that they would need to do to help change the environment and to create one of support and love and understanding so that that person can really heal and, and recover? So when it comes to children, there are two dynamics at play. Yeah. There are the parents and the children they once were that is uh, still in them. Okay. The way they get triggered. And it's the reality of the child that is now and what this child experiences. Right. So in essence, I'm addressing both. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a real honest um, example. Yeah. I had a consultation years ago. This woman came into the session with her child. The child was mm -hmm. acting up. She was having a really hard time. Okay. Like as I'm like doing an assessment with mom, I gave the kids some toys to play. It's like dolls and house and stuff. As we're talking, I'm looking at what she is playing. She's setting up the house. There's a mother and daughter. The daughter is asking mom to watch TV and engage with her and sit down with her. And mom's like, no, I'm busy. Mom is going all over the place. The kid is following her. And I said, look, your kid is telling you what she needs. 
She's like, no, what do you mean? Like, it's not yeah. it. I'm like, no, yeah. no, no. She is telling us. Yes. That all of these external things are going to divorce. All that is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Taking you away from her. Mm-hmm. Her game, her game, she's giving us her ideals and wants and desires. So I had to help the mom to deal with her own emotions. To then have the emotional capacity to understand her own daughter. I do that with my own child. I have a right. five-year-old. Okay. Super sweet, very intelligent, has a <laughs> right. his own challenges and gaps. Yeah. And she gets dysregulated easily. Quickly starts crying for no reason. Appears to me for no reason. I have to be careful with that. <laughs> and you know, she's just dysregulated. I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, well, you're five years old. You don't need to cry. Communicate. What I'm forgetting is that this is her biology. Mm. She needs some sugar in her system yeah. to start calming the nervous system down. Okay. As soon as I prep that breakfast, she uh-huh. eats something. I have a completely different kid. Wow. And I have to, again, be careful of like, this was me. Yes. I was adding to her frustration because mm. I was helping her. Wow. Because I'm seeing it in a different way. Yeah, yeah where the apology and all that comes from so it's really this duality great wonderful thanks for sharing so we have dr massa live here in the breakout room sharing some very interesting and very important information about dealing with childhood trauma and now i want to take her to the point where we are dealing with relationships um with regards to let's say husband and wife who are experiencing some level of imbalance. And because of that, whatever that happened between them, maybe it was an accident, maybe somebody lost their job. Maybe it was a situation where they made a bad investment and now the relationship, the marriage is being threatened as a result of that, that, that negative thing that took place. What are some of the challenges that you have seen in your practice with people of a similar nature? And what are some of the guidelines you would give them to help them overcome that trauma and make better decisions for themselves? So there are two things I look in a relationship. Yeah. The strength of the relationship or the Mm -hmm. core or the foundation of the relationship. What is this relationship based on? Okay. So if I have a couple that the relationship is based on love, mutual understanding, there is a best friend situation was at some point. Yeah. I have a lot to work with. Okay. I have a lot of material. So the core, the foundation is there. Mm-hmm. The fondness of each other that existed at some point. Right. Something happened. These outside stressors, such as loss of job. Yeah. Pressured. And cause distance or separation. Yeah. I always, I often say to the clients that like you have lost your way. Mm-hmm. You're kind of like passing each other. You're not yeah, reconnecting. Yeah. So the goal is to help them reconnect to that understanding they once had. Okay. What, what is this relationship about? What does that mean? It's about how do we control the stressors? Practical skills to manage the stressors. Practical skills to make time for each other, improve communication, 
just be able to see eye to eye. But then deeper work is what is the experiences one and what is the experience of the other? And can they switch places? Okay. Oftentimes in relationships, there is a rift because we cannot understand what the other person is going through. Yeah. yeah. And coming up with our own conclusions based on our own experiences. Right. That furthers the rift. When there is this mutual understanding, it's amazing how empathic people become. Yeah. And how they come up with the solutions. Okay. Great. So how do you incorporate cognitive behavioral therapy, particular into a situation like that? Let's put, let's put a little twist on it. Let's just imagine that the relationship is not built on that warm, fuzzy foundation, but it was more of some sort of an arrangement. And then this happened and then they come to you. How does cognitive behavioral therapy help to deal with that situation? So, you know, being very forthcoming, I use cognitive behavioral therapy as a set of skills rather than a modality. Okay, okay. But I feel psychodynamic takes it a layer further, and I yeah. like that about it. Yeah. So in a situation like that, I would bring the clients, use some CBT, Mm-hmm. of the therapy to try to understand the purpose of being in a marriage yeah the motivation the arrangement what was the arrangement why was it important how did it help them so it's very cognitive right it's very thinking yeah, yeah. The relationship was the basement thinking okay when we understand the thinking parts of things okay mm-hmm. why do we want to be with each other why is it important how do we want to change our thinking in yeah. relation yeah change our negative thinking maybe stopping with you know rumination and instead rumination is like repeating negative thoughts um kind of like practicing the skills of like externalizing thoughts or letting them go mm-hmm. some meditation to calm nervous systems then we come into can we find ways for you to now connect on a deeper level okay yeah right. yeah can Bring, like what are your values what are what what's important and if it's not there and they still want to be together then going back to cbt what are specific techniques we can put in place that you can work well together because that's okay some people like it that way and that's all right, too, right. right so what are the day-to-day practices to make this marriage smooth okay great wonderful Thank you, Dr. Massa. Thanks for sharing. Um, I have an interesting theory and, and sometimes I think about, let's say, for example, a team, a soccer team, a basketball team, a baseball team, and they are traveling somewhere, you know, like in a state or from country to country, and something happens, an accident takes place. Um, couple players are injured and maybe one or two may die. I don't want to stretch it too much, but I know these things have happened before. But then the day comes that they have to go out on the field and play. But this thing is on their mind. And they can't focus on the game, the position that they play, whether it be forward or center or, or back or whatever it is. They just cannot focus. How can you help them to deal with that 
trauma, the negative impact of the accident or whatever it was, so that they could then focus on the task at hand. So there are two things. There's survival guilt. Mm -hmm. Why did I survive and the other didn't? Okay, right. And it's grief. Yes. Right? Yeah. Grief, um, I forgot who said it. It's one of the grief experts. He said, grief is like a targetless arrow. Mm -hmm. Right? As yeah. long as it doesn't have a place to go, it just lingers around. Right. So as far as the, you know, why am I alive and they're gone? I would bring the team together and I would first debrief them on what happened, right? You provide them an opportunity to talk about what happened. There's the thing about trauma. Trauma doesn't become stuck. Mm -hmm. When process talked about, felt, felt understood and validated, it goes out of the body. It relieves. Okay. So I would give them an opportunity to process what this experience was like for them as a whole. The idea is that they can connect with each other and find solace in each other's comfort. Right. Then we would do some sort of an experience where we honor the ones who were lost. Okay. Yeah. And acknowledge the okay. responsibility that it is mm. to have a state of life. This is where the cognitive behavior therapy piece comes into play. Right. right. I'm transforming this idea of why am I alive? I should have been left dead. To now you have a responsibility to live for them. Mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. And now that you live, you have this opportunity to live. Yeah. Make it even more seriously. Mm -hmm. Right. And through that, I would say, how do we want to honor them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times in a setting like that, when the purpose is scoring or winning the game or what have you, it becomes about honoring. But what I would say is, it's not about winning or losing now, right? Yes. But I think that this is about doing the best you can mm -hmm. in their memory. Yeah. Right? Thinking about them and send, making them proud, in a sense, by doing your best, whatever that's going to turn out to be. Wow. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks yeah. for sharing. I love that. I love that. So you... I'm looking at the informations and you, you had the opportunity to work at Twin Towers Correctional Facility and Men's Central Detention Center. What were some of the challenges that you would have faced with those who were incarcerated uh, in terms of their mental attitude and the challenges that they would have faced and how did you deal with them? You know, I want to thank the deputies and the system for allowing me to be there. Right. I want to acknowledge how hard their job is. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. How painful it is. Wow. So what I'm about to say is, is in no ways like mm -hmm. this thing. I get okay. it. It's okay. Horrible. Yeah. But because of it is so traumatic to work in that setting. Mm-hmm. It, they both sets, the inmates and the deputies, were yeah. both very much in a trauma response state. Okay. And I think that was my biggest challenge. Right, right, right. Or, again, because of the way I was raised, right? One of our most important values is humility, equality, valuing of human life, no matter yeah, yeah. What's, what's going on with them. Yeah. 
But when your own life as a deputy is always in danger, Mm -hmm. you are outnumbered. Yeah. It is hard to remember that, that everyone is equal. There were so many who did. You know, there were so many that were really good at creating this balance. Yeah. But there were also ones that were struggling because, again, their own lives were in danger. Yeah. So it created this negative dynamic between some of the deputies and inmates. And Mm -hmm. this concept of negativity towards the inmates. Yeah. Right? Because imagine you having people who have tremendous trauma reactivity aggressive behavior and projecting it to you yeah yes and sometimes unintentionally you're projecting Uh it back yeah yeah that was the hardest piece for me to negotiate right the second piece was the way in which obviously they didn't trust me (laughs) <laughs> didn't have to do this yeah, yeah yeah and so i had to prove myself to them uh-huh. okay and out of i worked there for four years i worked at linwood for a, more, a few months but i've worked i've done this for majority of my career before i went to full private practice i was you know my research was around the same area only two cases and now by now three cases out of all the hundreds of millions of people that i have worked with they actually were antisocial personality disorder mm. who were truly because of significant experiences of trauma. Yeah. Or, you know, um, there was no empathy. There was no regard for human life. Okay. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that term is thrown around so easily for people who are very traumatized. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are my main struggles. Yes. Wow. Great. Wonderful. Um any disrespect towards any group. Yes, exactly. I'm in total agreement. We we are currently in what most people would call um Dr. Massa post-COVID period, right? But I have seen some statistics with regards to medical personnel, professionals, doctors, nurses, about increased levels of depression, having to deal with all the stuff that they had to go through during the height of the COVID. Have you had the opportunity to work with people like this? And and how was that experience like for you? You know, I'm so glad you bring this up. Yeah. If there are truly any angels among us, they uh-huh. would be wow. wow. What they went through yes. is unimaginable. <laughs> wow. And show up for work, mm-hmm. I personally couldn't. Yeah. yeah. So my highest regard is towards them. And then there's the firefighters and there's the EMTs and yeah, there's yeah. the police and everybody that kept us going through that. Because when we think about trauma, what is trauma? There's the little T, the everyday bad negative experiences. And then there's the big T, the trauma of coming face to face with potential of death of yourself and others. And they did it every day after day after day after day. How much can a mind take Hmm. of being in the line of danger 
with the knowledge that it could have been prevented. Yeah. I think that is the core of the helplessness. You know, it's the same with people who are in military. Yeah, right? yeah. That helplessness and to show up and provide care when you see that there could have been an alternative mm -hmm. is very difficult. Yeah, yeah. From that trauma is a state of fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. It's a state of survival. But when it's continued and the body is flooded with cortisol and stress hormone and adrenaline, then eventually it starts to turn into prolonged helplessness, lack of motivation, sadness, hopelessness, depression, anxiety, so on and so forth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it didn't change. It didn't end, you know, and they continue to show up. So when I would work with my clients, it was about giving them a lot of space. Yeah. Okay. That's their feelings. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to validate their struggle, to acknowledge their strength, you know, and help them make meaning. The most important thing about trauma is to make meaning. Okay yeah very interesting indeed um have you done any publications at all or are you considering doing any publications based on your expertise and your experience so the first well i haven't published it but i do have my dissertation yeah for my gang members childhood experiences uh, or childhood experiences of former gang members and its impact on uh further gang involvement okay. i do write a little bit of you know articles and stuff that we uh -huh. post um i'm raising an amazing five-year-old who's an <laughs> artist already performed at three years old she okay. loves the stage so she keeps my hands really busy so i end up with just the little ones down the line hopefully i will have the time to do further publications okay great so what does the future look like for Dr. Massa in terms of accomplishment, achievements, any specific goals, visions, desires, things that you want to do more than you're doing now? So I have to give credit to my husband, excuse me. <laughs> sure. cool. ah. um, so my husband came and joined the practice in 2018. His name is Ruth. Okay. He's a professional ADHD coach. Uh-huh. Um, he runs the business more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and so together we have Heal and Thrive Psychotherapy and Coaching. We do have other staff on board. And so we're continuing to build Heal and Thrive. My ultimate goal, in addition to raising an amazing human being, is to help really, you know, very successful, achieved uh, individuals that are really stuck. You know, I spent a lot of years in the trenches. I've worked with a lot of different populations through addiction, through trauma, childhood trauma, adult trauma, criminal behavior, victimization, severe mental health issues. And it really trained me in understanding the complexities of life. Okay. So at this point in my career, I really like to work with people who are very accomplished, but very lonely. Oh, all right. 
the demons of the past are holding them back in ways that they don't know mm. you know yeah that's interesting that unlocking that happens yeah that their true potential shines they come up to me and say well i did this mm -hmm. no and i was like I didn't know you were capable of that. You didn't know you were capable of that. Like, it just happens. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. The true nature shows. And I feel like it's a a very successful, yet very misunderstood population. Yeah. And at this point, I want to reach out and right. help improve quality of life. Yes, yes. Wonderful. I like the philosophical approach. Uh, mixed with your expertise and the things you said that you have learned as a result of the diverse amount of people that you have worked with in your profession. So, Dr. Massa, we are coming to the end. We just have a couple of minutes again. And I want to give you the opportunity to share your information with people, how they can make contact with you, because there are many people out there that are struggling, that are hurting, they need your expertise, they need your help, your facilitation. How can they reach out to you for your support and your professional services? I appreciate that. Excuse me again. <laughs> My apologies. I want your listeners to know that no one under no circumstances deserves to be alone with this. Whatever the outside looks, there's always one within us that shares and keeps our vulnerabilities. And okay. I want your customers to know that they're safe with us. Okay. We don't ignore anyone. We we answer every call, every email. Yeah. And we try to provide support and assistance in the ways that we can. We do have different therapists and coaches. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we are Heal and Tribe Psychotherapy and Coaching. Yes. I will offer a free consultation for any of your listeners that like or viewers that would like to contact us. Um, our, there's a consult uh, option on our website. Mm -hmm. So all you have to do is to go on heal-tribe.com. We also show up as Heal and Tribe Psychotherapy and Coaching on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, you know, we are on all of the social medias. Yeah, you're on YouTube as well? And uh, not YouTube, not okay, yet. Okay, okay, all right, okay. So all the other social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn as well? Yes, LinkedIn okay. as well. Okay, okay. the fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> Good, wonderful. Thank you for sharing, Dr. Masa Hojat Kushniat yeah. has been with us for the past 45 minutes. And she's been sharing some really amazing and wonderful dynamic healing information for people that are challenged with trauma, childhood, adolescents, teenagers, those who are involved in marriages and careers and so on. So make sure and contact her if you know someone or you're experiencing problems like that. She has been through many different areas of working with people with challenges like that and has a wide form of experience together with her husband uh they're going to make sure that you get the information necessary to find your process of healing so we want to thank her so much for taking the time for being with us on andy's personal development live in the breakout room and until next time i am saying together with my guest dr massa please seek healing 
seek help, seek hope. And remember our three words words, health, happiness, and prosperity. Until next time, this is Andy of Andy's Personal Development along with Dr. Massa saying so long, Godspeed, God bless, namaste. Bye for now.